So, hey everyone, this is Michael Vandervoort. I'm here along with John Hyman. We're going to do a Labor Day uh, pre pre Labor Day weekend edition of Labor Relatedly. John, welcome uh, back to Drive Through. How you doing today? Uh, good. It's good to be back, as always. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know it's uh, this this time. You suggested that it was time for us to do a show. I was like, wait, what's going on? And then I realized there's like half a dozen things we could talk about. So we're gonna we're gonna blow through a bunch of different things um, in in advance of a of a three day Labor Day weekend, I guess. Um, why don't we start with yours? You you had another excellent post, but the your feature your 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 blog you know, semi-regular feature that you have, which is Worst Employers of 2022 and, and years past, you dropped a, a, an amazingly stupid story. Let's open with the active shooter drama that well, really wasn't one, but is terrible. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, not to bury the lead, um, but if you're going to do an active shooter drill, um, and your your uh, the person that is going to be the the active shooter in the drill playing the role, and is going to be using like not live ammo but but blanks that are live so they sound like real guns. It's always a good idea to clue your employees into that fact that uh, there's going to be actual real guns fired with blank rounds, and probably a good idea to clue the authorities into that fact as well, so the SWAT team doesn't show up outside your workplace. It is just a it's just a baffling story to me it's it came out of omaha nebraska catholic charities wanted to do an active shooter drill which is a good idea um it seems like there's a, there's an active uh, it's hard to turn on the news these days without hearing of an, yeah. of an active shooter situation somewhere and a lot of them take place um, at one workplace or another and your employees should know how to respond so active shooter drills are a good idea to have um but uh you, you got to do them the right way in this and the, the this is the absolute wrong way to do it because the employer catholic charities of omaha didn't tell its employees that it was having the drill didn't tell the employees that the guy they hired to to run the drill a guy by the name of john channels was going to be using a real assault rifle loaded with blanks um and they didn't tell their employees that channels was going to be staging um, vic victims, like fake victims, actors covered in fake blood um, around the building for added realism. And then on top of that, they did include the cops in. So, um, <laughs> you know, people people are calling 911 from inside the building. Neighbors are uh, 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 of this business are hearing the, the rounds being fired inside the business um, and they're calling the police. The police show up. I mean, this could have gone very very wrong in a number of ways the channels the active shooter could have gotten shot an employee with a concealed carry could have shot the guy or accidentally shot a coworker. or i mean it is it is a an absolute miracle and maybe appropriate because we're talking about catholic charities but it's an absolute miracle that nobody was um that nobody was seriously injured from this yeah in it in it when i heard it when i read the blog post i thought who in god's name no pun intended pick this guy how did they identify you know i mean like there had to be a process where they selected this guy and you would have thought interviewed him and discussed what they needed yeah, I, mean, I mean a consultant vetting process isn't that hard but it you know i don't think i, I i'm gonna say there wasn't one other than as, as i read the story and as i under and i've read several accounts of this the safety director um, of this organization 
went to the executive director and said, like, I have this guy who can do active shooter training. And they just said, yeah, go ahead and hire him. And there wasn't mm-hmm. really, it's like, I know it was like an, a, the, the vetting was like, I know a guy. And like the, the, the cherry on top of all of this was that a few days after all this went down, that this um, channels, the, the, the active shooter in the training, the guy they hired was, he, and he's been charged, he's been criminally charged from this incident um, on counts of, of terrorism. And I'm not a criminal lawyer and I don't pretend to be one. And I don't know what that means or what the implications are there or whatever. But separately from that, a few days later, he was charged uh, for sexual assault and possession of child pornography. Oh, jeez! Um, from a in connection with uh, some like karate studio he owns, so uh, or is an instructor. Um, so it's, I mean, they uh, uh, it's just an absolute just cluster of an exercise. And so, uh, yeah, you got a vet who's doing your training. Um, in any circumstance, but especially where a guy's going to be walking through your halls carrying an, carrying an assault rifle, you might want to know who the guy is actually doing that other than just like, hey, I know a guy. I was walking down the street the other day. I met a guy or whatever the circumstance yeah. is. I got a friend in the militia or whatever yeah. it might be. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just um, – I, I know this guy. He Maybe he was – I said something about being in D.C. on January 6th. Yeah. I don't know, but he's – now we're being mean. Um, yes, and, and for and for the record, I'm not saying that this John Channels was in DC. On I have no idea. Yeah, so. we don't either. It's just so yeah. So like that, your that your consultants uh, engage in the appropriate notice notifications, both internally and externally. Kind of this this isn't really a labor relations issue, but it sure as heck has a lot of long term implications for the trust of the organization and the way people will feel like, you know, I would assume the executive director probably has, is going to have some fallout. I mean, there, I would be amazed if I think it's a, she, if she kept her job um, as, you know, as, as a result of this. And while it's not a labor relations issue, I mean, one of the issues that unions always push uh, hard when they're talking to employees or safety issues. And so um, it's a, a, makes a nice talking point for a union organizer that is talking to the employees yeah. of this particular employer. So you couldn't have done this without talking to us. You would have known. Yeah. I can, I can, I can hear the conversations, you know, I mean, anyway, so there, it was, it, what, what, you know, appalling, uh, well worth one. I think it was your ninth, uh, bad employer of the year. So well worth the nomination. We'll see how it turns out at the end of the year, I guess. I bet. I bet it's, I mean, it's a, every year my list gets shorter because the bar gets, the bar seems to get, each year sets a higher bar for the for the year to follow and so the first year i did this i had something like 25 nominees this year this is number nine and i'll it's already september so i'll end up with i don't know 10 11 12 whatever um i bet this one finishes pretty high uh, i would uh, (laughs) you would think just on just on yeah just on the merits it it certainly certainly seems like it would so there was some other actual labor relations developments here in the last few days um and I guess in uh, probably in my mind, I don't know if they're, it's most significant because they, they kind of cover different areas, but certainly one of the most uh, changes that could impact workplaces the most was a was a decision by the by a divided board uh, related to uh, what kind of messaging uh, employees can wear in the workplace, and it, it involved Tesla and a T-shirt that espoused a u- support for unions that that 
was different than the typical Tesla factory uniform, which I guess was a black t-shirt with the Tesla logo on it or something like that, is some, some folks uh, adopted that, kind of adapted that t-shirt and put on a message it's showing support of the UAW, I believe. Um, so it, you want to kind of walk us through sort of the background on that story, John? Yeah, so this is a Tesla General Assembly plant in California. The plant had a dress code for all their uh, production, or for all their uh, production employees, which made it mandatory that they wear um, the assigned team wear, which for these production employees was a black cotton t-shirt with the Tesla logo and black cotton pants with no buttons, rivets, exposed zippers, etc. cetera, um, all of which Tesla provided to employees. I think there was an exception that employees, I think with supervisor approval, could just wear a plain black t-shirt. Um, Tesla said that the dress code, I think, promoted two different employer interests. Number one, at least for the no buttons, rivets, or exposed zippers, these are guys, you know, assembling cars and that Tesla was trying to protect against, um, you know, these metal pieces on clothing, scratching or dinging up a car on the production line. Mm -hmm. They said separately, that all these production employees wearing black enabled Tesla or management to keep an eye on kind of where everyone was on the shop floor. Um, so it seems to be, you know, seems to have a, you know, a, a legitimate interest, a legitimate interest they're trying to protect here. Uh, spring of 2017, in the midst of a union organizing drive at the facility, a number of the production employees started wearing black t-shirts with, instead of the Tesla logo, with the UAW logo. And then, um, Word to the effect of like driving a fear, uh, driving a fair future at Tesla or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, there was some uh, discipline to employees. Um, Tesla banned this, uh, banned the UAW T-shirts under their dress code, um, and and then the unfair labor practice charges started flying, and we ultimately get this divided three-two decision from the NLRB, which basically says that number one, um, section seven protects employees right to display union insignia on, on t-shirts, pro-union t-shirts, um, and that it is an unfair labor practice for an employer to interfere with that display of a union logo or insignia unless the employer can prove some special circumstances to justify the prohibition, which outweighs employees' rights to wear uh, to, to display this union, um, this union insignia at, at, at work. Um, it is, uh, I mean, we can talk about maybe there are some critiques of the decision, but I think we can take a look at this kind of, I mean, on the micro level, this is a decision that applies to dress codes and the display of union insignia at work. I think on the macro level, mm -hmm. we, we can look at the board starting to go down the path. We saw the board go down um, during the Obama administration to really apply Section 7 very, very broadly to sets of work rules that aren't really, you know, are, are neutral on their face and aren't rules that are drafted or, or, or even targeted only at, you know, pro-union or other protected concerted activity. These are fairly benign policies that the board is saying, um, but because 
we are going to hold that that policy unlawfully restricts employees' rights to engage in protected concerted activity. Yeah. So, so there's a couple there's a couple a couple things going on here. I, one is this is the probably one of the very first decisions that we've seen where the Abruzzo um, agenda, as you said, of really really pushing Section Seven rights and really pushing uh, organizing further. This is one of the significant shifts that we're seeing because the board's been kind of slow in bringing those cases forward. But th- this one this one is a big one with potential impact on a lot of different companies in a lot of different ways. And just very basically, I guess like typically the rule has been an employer can can enforce a, a neutral on its face policy uh, where you can require a uniform look um, with, and, and, and have essentially only, I guess what you might call flair from office space or whatever the, I guess that's where the <laughs> film came from, right? So, yep, pieces yeah, of flair. so stuff that you might call flair, you could limit the use and wearing of flair as long as you had a consistently enforced neutral on its face policy that kind of, kind of didn't contemplate any sort of issue driven um, bun- buttons, pins, and only employer logo or employer approved type stuff. And this decision changes that substantially. And, and while many employers will go, oh, well, what do I care about that? Like one, some of the examples, and I can't remember what the t-shirt said, but there have been many campaigns, especially in the telecom industry, where, for example, and, and a, a field representative, somebody goes to a customer's home would show up in a union t-shirt insulting the company's, you know, having co-opted the company's logo and possibly even insulting the company directly to its face. And the board has ruled in the past, and then those cases have later been overturned, that that some of those shirts were okay. Um, We've been living in an era for the last five years or so where the stuff like that generally wasn't okay. And I think we're about to go back to get back the other way is the point you were trying to make. Yeah. It, the pendulum's it, definitely swinging back and it's easy to say, well, you know, I don't care. My employees aren't being organized. There's no, you know, no one's wearing this stuff to work, but you only care until you have to care and then it becomes an issue. So. Yeah. And it doesn't, and they don't have to be in a union to wear the, the shirts. In fact, it, right. it probably more likely to not be in a union correct the shirts yeah so this so while it may seem trivial um i don't you know and it's definitely it's probably not a five alarm fire drill either something that you should pay attention to and you probably want to look at your policy and kind of see where it lines up against what the board has said because there are there is a bit of a new test and i think there are some exceptions but they're much more restrictive than that than it was applied in the past it has to be it's it's almost you can do these kind of things, but only by exception rather than the other when it, you know, what it's been like for. Yeah. You have to, you, you have to, you have to establish special circumstances and the board gave some examples of what might, what might qualify as special circumstances. Mm -hmm. So like employee safety or the potential to damage machinery or products, or if you're like heightening employee dissension if you were have some like interference with an established public image and some other some other reasons that the board listed. So, I mean, the board did give employers an out to enforce a dress code, but it's but it's a but it's a it's it's a fairly narrow out. Yeah. And, and so just just I guess what I'm saying is without us trying to educate you on every nuance of it, it's something that's worth taking a look at as an HR practitioner. So um Anything, any other thoughts on that, on that one, John? Uh, no, other than just stay tuned, because I think this will be the first of many dominoes to drop 
um, as Abruzzo continues to kind of put her stamp on the NLRB or the this NL, this board's interpretation of the NLRA. Um, and I think we're going to see other uh, kind of workplace policies, um, you know, drop in line with this kind of philosophy of interpretation yeah. of the act. And we're likely to see actually a maybe not in September, but October, November, we're likely to see a flurry of this type of stuff because John Ring, who's one of the Republican minority uh, members, his term ends at some, sometime in late December, he drops off. And there's always a flurry of cases that comes out before a, a sitting board member leaves because they want to, it, and it's not Ring that will make a lot of favorable, employer favorable decisions. The cases will still come out, but they, he'll want to write dissents and leave some, you know, legacy for the next Republican board, right. whenever that comes along. So we'll be seeing more of this soon. Um, anyway, um, let's switch over. Um, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to talk about Starbucks this week, but let's switch to one of the other poster children of 2022 unionism, and that's Amazon. Um, another big board, dis well, case, case ruling, I guess, or ALJ decision came down. There was a uh, the vote in uh, Staten Island, which was the first win ever at an Amazon facility, Staten Island, New York, at a facility called JFK 8, that had been contested in, on it in total in a, in a lengthy hearing by Amazon and uh, an ALJ, I think it was an ALJ. Or it was an ALJ, yeah. Yeah, ALJ made a ruling yesterday that will probably get appealed still, but it'll, it, it's definitely set forth what's probably going to be the ultimate outcome. So you want to want to share that out with us? Yeah, I mean, essentially, Amazon argued that through a, a series, I, the, the kind of sum and substance of their argument was through a series of kind of unfair labor practice filings and other activities during the, you know, leading up to the election, that the um, uh, Amazon labor union uh, essentially you know, tainted the process, and I and they essentially argued kind of in the NLR the NLRB was kind of along for the ride by, you know, signing off on uh, a lot of these unfair labor practices that were alleged during the organ during the organizing, and I mean the the uh, the ALJ um, essentially said no, <laughs> you know, it didn't impact. It. And I, I will say I I haven't I haven't seen where the ALJ's full opinion has been published yet. I've read reports. Yeah. I've read reports of what of what was written, but I have not yet seen. I just checked the docket this morning, and it hasn't yet. It's there on the docket, but the the link to the actual opinion itself is not is not there. So it's not you. It's not yeah. available for download. So I'm I'm getting this from the news reports, but um, uh, essentially um, the ALJ found that there was no evidence to suggest that either the workers through their unfair labor practice charges that they filed or the NLRB through, and it's, through their rulings on these various unfair labor practice charges had any impact on influencing or suppressing the vote. And there was no need to rehold, um, uh, to, to redo the election. I, uh, I find it humorous because it, it's so, um, it's so bold. The move is so bold that one of the, I think one of the things that Amazon was uh, complaining about was that Amazon labor union members were providing uh, free legal weed 
to the to the warehouse employees at Amazon, and so they were they were saying, you know, this this isn't fair, and and apparently, and like you said, I have not able to read the case yet, but apparently the the ALJ for the board deemed the the free legal weed maneuver to be to be okay. <laughs> so. NLR, NLRB at least said ALJ is pro pro weed. Go figure. So. <laughs> Even though it's federally still illegal, right? So. But it's also, but it's it's also a bold move, though. To it, it's one thing to say that the union or the employees um, acting through the union took steps to improperly influence the vote. It's another thing to argue, which is, I, as as I gathered, the gist of their argument is that the NLRB was somehow complicit in the in the union's efforts to suppress and influence. Um, uh, worker vote in this election and that's a that is a i mean that is a tough argument to make nlrb we need we, we need you to find that you were complicit in this scheme right. to, to suppress vote and those arguments never you know it's like judge you know we think you're biased please recuse yourself and it's right. like, well screw you i'm not right. so I'm, I'm not so i'm not right although so. although up until a week ago i would have you know i would have kind of agreed with you 100 percent on that but with the uh with the other well we did mention starbucks on the last show right with that election yeah <laughs> so there i mean there are there are arguments floating out there and i don't and i so i don't think the final story has been written yet on what's been going on internally at the nlrb um with all these union elections. And so I think this, I think it's put a kind of put a tack in that and let's wait and see kind of where the evidence is on that. I don't recall, but I don't believe that the Amazon or the, the Staten Island election, I don't think that was a mail ballot election. I think they ran that on site, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. So it may not have the mail ballot taint argument at least anyway. Um, and then um, news broke, I guess, this morning is when I saw it. It might have come out yesterday, but um, another Apple store in uh, in a weird location. Has, yeah, Oklahoma uh, City, the hotbed of union activity. <laughs> it's like, what? Um, I, I was in OKC about four or five years ago, and it's actually a really, you know, I mean, not to say that I thought it wasn't a, wasn't a good city, but it was a much more pleasant city than than I expected, I guess. I, I've never been to I've never been to OKC, but I did have years ago. I had a FLSA collective action lawsuit in Tulsa, so mm -hmm. I spent uh, the better part of two years, kind of back and forth, a bunch between Cleveland and Tulsa, and I love Tulsa. I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great town. Yeah, and they've done a lot in the last couple of years to really uh, upgrade their downtown, the Woody Guthrie experience, a bunch of stuff. Again, we're not a travel show or a labor relations show, but we 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 dabble in all kinds of things around here. Um, so the interesting thing is, um, I had I saw this drop that you know that this this election is filed in in a and it's actually I think the first one to come down since they won in. Uh, in Maryland about a, six or seven weeks ago, um, there, were, there had been some anticipation that maybe there would be a flurry of, Am of Apple stores, then it kind of died down. The Apple granted a, an across the board wage increase to all their, all their, all their uh, store, all the retail employees, et cetera. And it sort, of, it sort of died down. So I just recently saw articles speculating that maybe Apple had you know managed to kind of quell the groundswell. And now we've got 
you know, another store coming up. And in the articles that I saw, you know, again, the conversation, we're not the only one, there's other stores talking about it. So you think this is, you think this is kind of a renewal or is it, is it an aberration that you have any, I, I know you don't really have a strong insight there, but, but. I, I don't know. I know that following the Maryland unionization efforts, there was um, a survey that was done at least in and I think it might have just been done in that Maryland store, but where they were talking to employees about kind of what their priorities were in mm-hmm. bargaining with the union and wages was one issue. Um, and there's, I've seen some reports that it, whatever the starting pay is now up, I think close to $30 an hour, maybe it's at Apple stores, depending on the role. And there's some feeling that maybe that isn't even high enough, but that wasn't, but there was also, I mean, their concerns were more, not just pay concerns. They were concerns about scheduling and concerns about, you know, PTO policies and concerned about staffing levels at the stores. Although if you ever walk in an Apple store, I've never felt that lack of staffing was their concern. Um, uh, uh, but issues of just general respect from the employer. And um, and so there, these seem to be issues that run deeper than just how much these folks get paid. And they're issues that I get a sense run company-wide. And so my sense is if employees in Maryland are dissatisfied with these issues, and employees in Oklahoma City have the same dis- have the same types of dissatisfaction. Um, these are issues that are probably kind of endemic company wide, and it would not surprise me to see uh, other stores follow suit. Yeah, and then and I, I didn't actually put this on the agenda, but there was also a uh, another first uh, Chipotle in uh, basically Lansing, Michigan, Delta Township, which is a suburb of Lansing, Michigan. There was a Chipotle uh, union, uh, one by independent union, one for the first time restaurant industry, you know, the restaurant industry, which is hard to organize. So that's a first for Chipotle. And then um, also sometime in the last couple of weeks, REI out in Berkeley, California had a, you know, so we're still seeing, you know, Starbucks has sort of quieted down a bit. But we're still seeing quite a bit of activity, especially in this the service sector. Uh, and there's there's a few other. I mean, I, I won't go. I won't recite the whole list. There are a few other retailers that are facing activity in different ways and shapes and forms as well. So, if you're listening and you're in those industries, you're probably already aware. But if you're not paying attention, there's a lot of activity in and around those retail and service sector. Uh, jobs still right now that and, and it's largely got to do with what stuff that john just cited wages uh staffing levels you know that kind of thing that are just people are being asked to do more and more with less and less and they're uh, not getting satisfaction from their employers and so they're going outside looking for help to try to make it better yeah and here we are doing a podcast about labor relations something i never thought i'd be doing if you would have asked me that you know, <laughs> even two years ago i th- i thought about it but i could never figure out how to make it work but now it's you know, you just sit down and talk the to the stories. The stories kind of write themselves now. They really do. I mean, I mean, and obviously we're just kind of reporting the news, but I think, I think, uh, hopefully the value that we bring is a little bit of commentary and thought around what HR people need to be paying attention to in a way that they can glean these five things that we've talked about today and figure out if they're relevant to them, put them to work in the workplace. That's kind of what I had hoped to, to deliver with this, with this series of shows. And I think it's similar to what you, you had in mind as well. Yeah. So anyway, I, uh, I think that wraps up. Did we have one more? Or did I touch on all of them that we said? I think you do. Do we want to just talk about what's going on in California for a second? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That was the other one that I was, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's not really done, not, not a done deal, 
but yeah, let's talk that because it is important. And what what happens on the left coast always moves to the right coast. So you got New York, New York, where this could spread pretty easily. Yeah, and then migrates back towards the center. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the the fast law, and I'll I'll go ahead and let you kind of set up what that what that's about. First of all, I I love I I, I love how legislatures name their bills. So this is the fast. Uh, Recovery Act, which is short for Fast Food Accountability and Standards Recovery Act, um, uh, better known as AB 257 in California. Um, it is, um, uh, it's essentially going to create a, a fast food council within the state of California that would dictate the various terms of employment, such as wages and benefits for all fast food restaurants um, and, a fa- and they're defining a fast food restaurant as any brand with more than um, 100 locations nationwide um, is they're defining as a they're defining as a fast food restaurant. Um, there's other language in there that would um, uh, make the franchisors um, uh, have some responsibility for um, kind of violations by the franchisee which is always troubling because if I'm a franchisor and I now have to assume liability for things that my independent franchisee does, um, I have, I mean, why not just operate the store? If, I, if I'm going to have all the legal risk or share the legal risk, why not just operate the store and take all the profits as well? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, I always, I always worry. We saw this a number of years ago when the NLRB was, uh, had temporarily rewritten the joint, the joint employer standard and, and, a lot of us had hypothesized that it would be bring the end to uh, franchised uh, uh, restaurants and other and other businesses, which is kind of the lifeblood of kind of small business America. And so yeah. it's uh, it's it's dangerous. And then um, you know, and I think the real story here is um, the the thought that by doing things like installing this this. 10 person body um, count fast food council to set things like wages and benefits for fast food restaurants, you're going to move to um, what uh, is called sectoral bargaining uh, in the U S collective bargaining is, is done at the enterprise level that is business by business. Um, and this would be kind of wages set on an industry wide basis um, across the state of California. That's how, Europe's labor unions are bargaining a sectoral in Europe. That's why uh, part of the reason why unionization is so much more prevalent in Europe, because instead of being done business by business, it's done industry by industry. And so if the fast food industry is unionized, the entire industry is unionized. It's not just one restaurant here or one restaurant there. Um, And so it is a real, um, uh, the, it's one thing to say $22 minimum wage would be catastrophic for, I think it would be catastrophic for fast food businesses because I don't think anybody's spending 12 bucks on a Big Mac, uh, which is what's going to happen. I mean, the net result here is if you're paying 22 bucks an hour for someone to drop fries into a, you know, a fry basket into a fryer and serve up a Big Mac, then you're either going to have to raise prices to cover those wages and inflation's already high enough. And I don't think people are spending 12 bucks on a Big Mac, or you're going to replace all these employees with kiosks and robots to do what the employees are currently doing to save on your labor costs. So um, that's that's the implication kind of on the employee level. 
I think more broadly, I think the 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 what's trying to be accomplished here is to is to impose this idea of sectoral bargaining within within the fast food industry. And I'm I'll be really curious to see if that gains traction here in the States like it has in Europe. Yeah, and that's driven largely by uh, Service Employees International Union, SEIU, who's had this type of legislative approach in their kind of tool basket of, uh, of policy making, you know, and, and of course they go to California where, you know, everything kind of starts off, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's an, it's a testing ground really uh, for, for policies like this in, in a lot of ways. And then, as I said earlier, as we opened the discussion, it, you know, a lot of times the next thing you see somewhere, New York, Boston, somewhere like that, and then the then different versions of it come together. This has some interesting implications, the sectoral bargaining. I mean, because if, if you had a, if, if you had a state council in every state, I mean, you'd have, you know, basically fixed prices, not, a, not nationally, but set regionally. And you'd be, you know, you'd be negotiating with the, all the restaurant owners in Oklahoma to go back to Oklahoma for a minute, I guess. And it, it just is really, uh, really a different way of doing things than what we've, we've seen. And, and it, it's com it completely at odds with the Starbucks model where the union, the same union, SEIU, is, is organizing store by store with, you know, 15 people in a store, right? Yeah, and has and and, and and done it very successfully. Yeah, and, but, but you have, well, I, I, it, I actually don't wonder, you have to think that at some point, these things get these things get wed together if they're if they're both successful, right? You at some point you wind up with a, you know, you stop negotiating with Starbucks, you know, every every ten feet in Atlanta, and you 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 basically negotiate a deal for Georgia. And you have a council in place, and you kind of take wages off the table as a negotiations issue, and then you're just dealing with work rules and benefits and stuff, you know. So there's some really massive long term changes that could come out of all this. It's unlikely that any of that will develop, but it's really interesting to contemplate what it could be in 10 years or something because nobody yeah. thought this would happen in california either right. and it may still not because it's being heavily lobbied against and i would guess it might even be challenged in court although i don't know what the arguments would be against the law let i mean maybe there's i'm not an antitrust lawyer but i, I could see some potential antitrust uh, some potential antitrust arguments here yep. um let, let's not lose sight of the 22 dollar minimum wage we were it's not that long ago that we were talking about fight for 15 and the $15 minimum wage as the bogey for, you know, that labor unions were pushing. Um, COVID, the, the labor shortages uh, created by the pandemic brought us a, essentially a de facto $15 minimum wage as uh, 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 retailers and other businesses struggled for labor during the pandemic. They raised their wages to draw people in. Um, and now all of a sudden, that bogey because most businesses are now have to, are paying a $15 minimum wage out of necessity. Now the bogey has shifted from $15 to $22. So yep. I don't want, I don't want to lose focus of the, the push to drive up wages here and the, well, not an economist, if wages go up, businesses got to make that money up somewhere. Um, and we're all going to be paying for a $20 minimum wage. Um, if, uh, restaurants and other businesses uh, are now paying $22 as, cause look, if McDonald's has to pay $22 minimum wage to attract talent. Now I'm the manufacturer down the street and the employees that I'm trying to hire 
are going to work at McDonald's because they can make $22 an hour as opposed to the 16, 15, 16, 17, whatever dollars an hour I'm paying starting. Uh, guess where my minimum wage is going is I'm fighting for the same talent. It's going right up to $22 or $22. So I question whether in given the, the, the current state of inflation in this country, whether this is the right time in our history to be setting a $22 kind of minimum wage bogey um, out there for businesses. Um, but uh, those, uh, you know, those decisions probably beyond my pay grade to make, but yes. <laughs> um, it's, uh, but it's troubling because we're all going to be paying for that. Um, or like I said before, businesses are just going to replace workers with um, machines, robots, tools, and other things. Um, and it's actually going to have the, the inverse effect because uh, it's going to be putting people out of work, not putting more money in people's pockets. There's always there's 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 always some sort of unintended consequences to these things. And so while it may be a big success, um, especially early on, in some ways, from a from a labor union perspective, it might not end up so well. But, you know, we always we always do doom forecast and naysay. So we'll see. Yeah. But I, I, in, but in the meantime, if, if, if Governor Newsom is listening to, to labor relatedly, um, don't don't sign. Don't, don't sign, sign the bill. <laughs> yeah, don't 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 send it to the East Coast. We don't need it here. So anyway, yeah. All right. Well, listen. That that was that was a great discussion, John. It's uh it's a long weekend coming up, and I know you got to clean your garage, and I'm gonna clean my house. I think so. We got to. Yeah, what go do we do for Labor Day? We labor. We labor. I I need to. I've I've been putting it off so long. Somebody needs to do something around here, or else I need to move out. Go uh -oh. find a new place. Anyway, uh, have a great Labor Day weekend. We'll we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks down the road. I'm sure I'll drop the show a little bit later this afternoon. Sounds good. Enjoy All right, John. You too. Take care. Bye.